So what you're saying, essentially, is Clint Eastwood is a giant weeb. Hello, and welcome to House of Bards. This is our 20th episode. It is. Mm. 20 episodes of doing this yeah. shit, and you're yeah, still 20, here. <laughs> to 20, like, hours of, of this, this crap. Yeah. And uh, I suppose, fittingly, uh, for uh, me, Alex, and my co-host, Beth, yeah. on our 20th episode, we actually have a relevant and potentially important topic to talk about. Oh my god, finally, right? I know that I that our listeners will be shitting themselves. I mean, not to say that like <laughs> previous topics have not been good. No. But I feel like like uh, a few of them have been quite as strong as this one because I think if you're active in uh, the sphere of uh, D&D, specifically the most recent edition, uh, this affects you probably quite a lot in some way mm-hmm. um so today we're going to talk about the fifth edition open gaming license and you mm-hmm. uh so i kind of wanted to do this episode earlier because it is a very uh sort of um you've got to get on this this hot button issue uh when it happened because i don't actually know who is expecting the OGL to come out? Like we'd been told from the beginning that Wizards wanted to make one for fifth edition, and I was inclined to believe them at the time, but I don't think there was a huge amount of warning as to that it was mm. coming out. So when it did, I was like, "Well, this is kind of important, so maybe we should do an episode on this." But you know, stuff happens. Yeah. But we're still going to do it because it's still important. Yeah, and you know, it's not like it's not still relevant, you know, the dust has settled. Okay, yeah. yeah that's, and that's, we can true. we can talk about this, you know, it's like kind of, you mm. know, a little bit later on, it's fine. It's fine to talk about things It's fine to happened. talk about stuff. <laughs> Especially yeah. since, like, obviously, although we're going to talk about how this affects you as a consumer of the game product thing, and also as a propagator of content for it, uh, we will also talk about, like, the sort of weird philosophical stuff behind this release and what makes it kind of strange i think Th- there'll be stuff to talk about it's it's fine yeah so we should probably start from the beginning right mm-hmm. uh, which is uh what is the ogl like yeah what like what is an ogl mm. yeah so start with yeah. that i mean i know what an ogl is obviously yes obviously but for like the people who mm-hmm. don't okay. so, uh, <laughs> the open gaming license is a concept that I believe originated with uh, 3rd edition D&D. It's not really relevant to AD&D, largely because AD&D was um, primarily, in fact, I think exclusively sold uh, by TSR while it was an independent entity, and TSR had a different legal attitude to what the OGL is designed to work with. So, but but when Wizards released um, 3rd edition D&D, what then... uh, what they did and what they have just done for fifth edition is that they released the systems reference document which is a guide to a legal document that allows you and other people to publish content based on the uh rule set of that particular edition of D. so uh you could publish games that are templated off D, which is why the d20 system exists because that happened for third edition uh, but you could also publish uh, your own uh, D modules um, you could sell them for money or publish them for free and like mm. like professionally uh, maybe publish them in paper form or like turn them into d- documents that you could you know distribute online uh, and probably if you were unaware of the concept of the ogl before now um the biggest question that you would have at this point is wait we weren't allowed to do that before no no you weren't it was straight illegal. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know necessarily. I, I'm not entirely sure, like what kind of contract you enter into with with wizards by buying the the game. And I'm not actually sure that it's related to that at all, because I think going outside the lack of an OGL would affect you, even if you weren't like if you didn't own the game. Like this is a lot easier to do with like licenses for digital content, whereas like mm. it's kind of weird when it's applied to role playing games, and also like. 
because of the way that role-playing games have been affected by the uh, the D20 system and also by different companies having different attitudes to player-produced content, the OGL is kind of strange. Mm. And it doesn't... Like, it makes a lot of sense, but not a universal amount of sense. So, essentially, um, the OGL this time works a little bit differently from the one in uh, third edition. So we should maybe go over that. Mm. Basically, uh, if you want to design content using the fifth edition rules for D&D, you have two options. One of them is the OGL, and the other is an initiative that Wizards have started called the DMs Guild. And they have a handy-dandy table uh, at dndwizards.com slash articles slash features slash systems hyphen reference hyphen document hyphen SRD. I'll put that link in the description. Uh, or maybe in an annotation on the video. I don't. I don't know. Like probably both. Um, the the and this table tells you uh, what you what you can and can't do with each of these uh, these things. Um, essentially, the DMs Guild it, wizards will offer you a lot more help in publishing your material if you're with the DMs Guild. But the DMs Guild is specifically for publishing content in the Forgotten Realms setting. So if you want to publish content for the Forgotten Realms. You can't do that with the OGL. You can do it for the DMs Guild. So Wizards wants to maintain creative control a bit over the Forgotten Realms setting specifically, and therefore you can only use the DMs Guild to get in. But you do get mm. um, the ability to employ resources owned by Wizards of the Coast in order to sell your material, which you can't do with the OGL. You have to like produce your stuff your own, well, like by by yourself. Basically, um, if you think about it as like the DMs Guild is wizards in-house um modern community for a product that they are maintaining control over and then the ogl is fifth edition made open source mm. so like you have access to a lot more stuff with the ogl because you can publish original campaign world stuff using the fifth edition rules and you can produce your product and sell it on your own but wizards aren't going to give you any help besides the original systems reference document uh, and I, mm. I've I've actually looked through the systems reference document. Basically, all it gives you is all the race, uh, all the races, all the classes, all the monsters. I believe all the monsters at least, and all the spells. So basically, all of the crunch from fifth edition, all of that is in the SRD. You you can just use that however you want, and you can publish modules. Because the way this worked before, um, you could publish your own module if the module were entirely fluff. Like, if you didn't include stat blocks for 5th edition, then the module was system ambiguous and therefore, like, wizards couldn't come after you for anything because it's like, what are they going to come after you for? Most of the concepts for monsters that they use, they haven't explicitly trademarked or anything. So it's like, what? what is it? But for a lot of people, that wasn't really helpful because it's like, if you're going to do, like, DM uh, somebody else's scenario, you kind of probably should have stat blocks for monsters. Especially if they made up monsters, in which case you need stat blocks, because otherwise you have to guess at what that monster might be like. Um, like, you could just about get away with it if you made content only using stuff that could be found in the source books and referencing it. But even, like, referencing it by name was a bit iffy. So there were ways of getting around not having a systems reference document before, but now that we do, you can just stick all that stuff in. And you can include the stat blocks, you can make up stat blocks of your own for monsters, it's it's fine, you can make up new spells and template them the way that Wizards templates them, and new races and new classes, exact same way. Alright? Mm, yeah. So, like, you can do that. But if you want to sell your product in the D&D online marketplace, uh, which I have yet to see materialize, I haven't looked around Wizards' uh, website recently, but I uh, don't quite remember any drive through RPG-style vending system, and I've... I I'm keenly aware that Wizards, amongst all of the, the, the big um, producers, like... Uh, Chaosium and White Wolf and whatnot are, are honestly the worst for this, for like not making their material readily available uh, online, like like to buy. I mean, mm, yeah. Um, I think they are getting better at it, but it's uh, they're they're lagging so far behind everyone else. Like I could go onto Chaosium's website and just buy Seventh Edition Call of Cthulhu as a PDF. Like I can just do that. I don't think I can do that for the. PHP and the DMG for Dungeons and Dragons. I'm fairly certain you can't, no. I think you can get a PDF of the starter kit 
all the basic definitely the basic rules and you can get that for free but yeah. um i think i think you maybe can buy the, the starter kit as a pdf but it's it's yeah it's shit but apparently there is something called the D online marketplace and if you sign up for the dms guild and you want to make content for the forgotten realms you can sell your content on there uh there's some like weird advertising bullshit on this table, which I don't think is particularly relevant to, to vend. But um, something else is that if you publish using the DMs Guild, wizards will consider your con content for additional official publication, which is cool. But I don't really think you should get hung up on that. No. Uh, for reasons that um, I'm going to go into later, and I think Beth can probably help me with that. Yeah. Um, but also that that uh, if that happens. And this, this is listed as a separate point in the table, but it's heavily implied that they would publish your content first before they did this. Um, your content will be considered for inclusion in digital games. Uh, or, yeah, yes. it will be. It will be considered. That is what they say. So presumably we can believe them. Uh, I want my content considered for inclusion in Wizards Marketing. So I would say don't get your hopes up that this will happen. But if you publish through the DMs Guild, um, essentially... Wizards reserves the right and may consider to uh, turn your content into additional production for Wizards. And I'm not saying it wouldn't be really cool for stuff that, like, you originally wrote to turn up in, like, the next Baldur's Gate. Like, that would be, that would be awesome. But yeah. I don't really... Like, I, I think these are two really very separate things. They both seem yeah. good, and I'm actually kind of glad that, like, the way it's set out, it very much looks like the DMs Club is Wizard's way of um, monetizing player content and, like, actually trying to benefit off the existence of the OGL. Because that was a big problem with the third edition OGL, was that it was arguably bad for Wizards, even though it was incredibly important to role-playing games as a medium. Um yeah. That they're trying to like monetize uh, player content without killing the golden goose, so to speak. Like yeah. they want the OGL to function roughly as it did before, because I think they've seen just how important it is to like a successful edition of D and D. Yeah. But they still want to be able to actually like you know harness player generated content. Mm. And this is the thing, right? Really, all this is the OGL. And the DMs Club and, and any other initiative that, that Wizards starts to, like, you know, allow this kind of content is really just the formalizing or the sanctifying of the relationship that players have with the producer of the content anyway. Like, I'm not saying that before the third edition OGL, people did not publish their own content for D&D &D, and it would be ridiculous to say that I was. Because that's not, yeah. that's not how it worked. The OGL yeah. is Wizards recognizing that people will and must do that like within the ecosystem of the game being popular anyway and yeah. providing both permission and tools for people to like publish at a professional level yeah it's it's like um you know that like wizards in terms of tabletop they're a little bit not unlike not entirely unlike <laughs> bethesda being like here's the modding kit yeah, yeah, you and it's, it's like, I actually have a note here, um, Fallout 4's construction kit isn't out yet. People no. are still producing mods. There's a lot that you can do just with changing around the um, resources within the game, and there are a number mm. of, like, custom modding tools from the community that exist at the moment that are a lot rougher, but still function roughly the same way. And, yeah. like, that's the thing. People would mod the games even if Bethesda didn't give them full reign and the tools with which to do so. Like yeah, that's that's just the 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 way it works. Um, so really, Bethesda's crea creation kit and um, Wizards OGL are sort of ways of recognizing how important user based content production is to the ecosystem surrounding the playing of the game. But it's kind of different with um, role playing games, isn't it? Because a little bit, yeah. Like role playing games only exist really as yeah. as like a a sort of network of connected um persons engaging in the action of content creation so yeah. it's kind of weird because the OGL is essentially wizards allowing you to do what you have to do anyway in order to functionally play the game yeah but at like a professional publishing level 
it's it's yeah. strange because it's like it would be weird if they didn't allow it and indeed that's probably one of the reasons why fourth edition was so fucking weird but yeah it's like people are gonna do it anyway so it's really more the the, the biggest i think like the biggest benefit of the ogl being released is to wizards because then they have yeah. like a formalized stance on this is what how we respond to users generating and attempting to share their own content using yeah. our materials which yeah, is the whole you know fucking point of like actually being a dm like serially to begin with so we can't not let them do that because that sort of hamstrings the entire game yeah. as it were uh, and I think that's why um, I got a note here that th- this is not a cat that can be put back in the bag. I think the mistake was in thinking that having made the OGL for third edition, you could just not have one for fourth, and that would be fine. Y- it yeah. wouldn't like since the concept of the OGL began to exist, any successful version of D and D going forward, I think, is going to have to have an OGL or equivalent um, document, mm. just because. Uh, People will expect one. They will expect an OGL going forward. And the community that was built from interaction with uh, definitely the 3.5 OGL, which is the problem that they were going to run into now, and now the 5th edition OGL, uh, that produces... Like, imagine if there were a new Fallout or Elder Scrolls game and Bethesda said, not only are we not releasing modding tools for this, but we do not officially support modding this game. Can you imagine, like how much of the community surrounding those games would just grind to a halt just because of the like ephemeral um like portion of the user base that's devoted almost entirely to like user creativity through modding it's the same thing I mean, here. we we don't have to imagine that because while bethesda haven't done that other game devs and other game producers have went no no more modding or they've like reduce the tools or the ability to do it to such a degree that it makes it fucking pointless. Like, look at the devolution of The Sims game, where you have a massive modding community in the second game, a slightly smaller one in the third game, but there's still a modding community, to the completely, like, non-existent one in the fourth game. Yeah. Because yeah, absolutely. we just effectively don't have the tools or the means to do it. Yeah, and, and it's like... I. I think wizards recognise that they're going to have to do this going forward. There isn't. Yeah. But but there's also the fact that that community will is kind of a juggernaut. It will continue to produce that content in some format, regardless of the presence of sanctified uh, documents from wizards in the future. So really, wizards' only choice is to produce those documents just so that they have a stance on that content. Like this isn't really something yeah. that they have a choice with. Yeah. Um. I mean, you know, it's it's like look. It doesn't matter what thing you have. And it is a little bit different for tabletop roleplaying games. It doesn't matter what piece of art or content or whatever you create. People are going to create transformative works with it. Yeah. And I kind of include game mods in transformative well, works they to are, an they extent. They are. They are transformative works. Yeah. That's, that's literally what they, they are. Perhaps even more literally transformative <laughs> works uh, in the case of like mods for um, video games than yeah. most transformative works because they literally transform the original product rather than replicating the original product in a transformed way apart from like total conversion mods that replace the original executable or something yeah but like you mentioned that it's slightly different for for um tabletop games and i agree and i think like that that's coming back to this fact that like the generation of uh transformative and derivative works is inherent to the process of interacting yeah. in basically any way with role-playing yeah. games as a medium. So yeah, like, you can't stop that happening because it would stop the mm-hmm. game functioning. Yeah, like Dungeons and Dragons does not work without people to play Dungeons and Dragons. Otherwise, it's is no fucking point. Yeah. Because that's what the whole thing is about. (laughs) Imagine the most restrictive version of this. Imagine you are not allowed to play anything other than modules produced by wizards set in wizards-approved settings, which for 5th edition at the moment is just the Forgotten Realms. I think they'll probably bring more in later. Uh, I'm Mm. pretty sure that they want to bring Ravenloft in as soon as they can. Like Ravenloft is mentioned in the DMG, so I'm pretty sure it currently yeah. exists in 5th edition. But for the moment, it's uh, 
of Forgotten Realms, and only like modules released by Wizards, okay? Even yeah. then, you're still going to get a huge amount of derivative and transformative work based on the DMing style of the DM and the creativity of the players. Because the mm. game only exists in like the conversation space between like w- within the table that's like it's not real yeah I, I, and i mean that not just in the it's just D, it's it's fucking swords and goblins and shit it's not real but also like even when you are playing the game the conceptual idea of the game as an object to be interacted with is not real it is a microcosm of a social construct if you like because we're, mm. we're getting a bit technical apparently but yeah. <laughs> I, I hope you can understand what it is I'm saying here. Like the, the game only exists because everybody at the table agrees that it exists and is willing to interact with it in the same way. Yeah, but like, at like... every table, that will be different. So it's still a derivative transformative work. Yeah. So there's nothing they could do to stop this. And it would be weird and bad for them to try and stop it because then that would stop the product that is actually making the money from functioning correctly. Exactly, so, yeah. Yeah, the, like the OGL is just them formalizing their relationship to that and allowing tools, and that's mm. that's good. Yeah, you, use you know, the system I, reference I, document. You know, you know, yeah. I would, I would rather companies see the benefit of fan, in, you know, transformative works and user generated content, even if that means they're making money from it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think like. In comparison to like similar initiatives that other companies have done, like mm. the DMs Guild is remarkably restrained by wizards. Oh yeah. Like, I guess that if your favorite setting to generate content for is the Forgotten Realms, but you have a very like GitHub esque open source attitude to the way that that content will be produced, that's probably kind of a bummer because you basically have to buy into the DMs Guild if you like want to make Forgotten Realms stuff. But it's like. I mean, you could probably Pathfinder, like, the Forgotten Realms. You could you could probably just, like, clone the Forgotten Realms and call it something mm. else and change all the names. And it's like, well, fuck. Well, then it's just Fifty Shades of Forgotten Realms. Well, uh, yeah, but I, I say I say Pathfinder <laughs> because that's literally what Pathfinder is. Pathfinder well, is no, yeah, yeah, like Dungeons yeah. & Dragons 3.5 with all the names changed. Yeah, it's, 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 it's true. It's um, it's it it's literally forked three point five. That's mm. what it is. Like they forked it on GitHub. <laughs> um, like you could probably do that. Uh, I'm not saying do do that. I think if you genuinely want to make Forgotten Realms content, at least from this table I'm looking at right now, the deal in the DMs Guild seems pretty good. Like you get access to a marketplace to like like you know produce your content on. Um, you get a lot more attention from Wizards of the Coast, which. Like, I don't know, maybe you won't care about that much, but it doesn't seem bad either. Like, hmm. your content will be considered for additional publication by Wizards. Now, um, one thing I would be careful about, and the table does not go into enough detail to say, so I would say definitely find this out. Um, because the DMs Guild is separate from the OGL, and actually probably we're going to get some people in the comments who might be angry that I have not mentioned this up until this point, because it's probably kind of fucking important. Uh, because the DMs Guild is separate from the OGL, it's it's not the same sort of open source thing. So there's definitely a question about how much control you maintain over your the the content you produce. Like, um, if you thought up a new place in the Forgotten Realms, and yeah. you produced a uh, a module for it, and you publish that on the D and D Online Marketplace, and Wizards take a look at it, and they think it's really good, and they want uh, to additionally uh publish it what may happen um i would say probably they wouldn't steal your um content and like publish it under somebody else's name as a writer like i can't guarantee that but i don't think it would happen because i think it would reflect very badly on the the dm's guild itself which they're kind of pushing what i think might happen is that they would maintain um full creative control over all the elements you had created in that module and they would be able to use them however they liked. So you might find yeah. that Wizards writers themselves start publishing like modules set in the part of the Forgotten Realms that you created. Which is fine if you're cool with that. If if you think it sounds yeah. really cool that like people who are actually write for Wizards and are employed by Wizards like would riff off the stuff that you put into their setting 
and that you're actually a part yeah. of that. But it's something to be aware of um, in case you don't particularly appreciate the level of integration that you would have into that process at that time, which would not be the same as like somebody who actually works for Wizards of the Coast. You know? mm. um, and I think like the, the, it could get to a point where if your material really takes off and like a couple of years down the line, there's like a digital game set, set there and it's used very heavily in, in Wizards marketing and like you still get paid for the original module, but you kind of feel bitter about the fact that like basically wizards is making a huge amount of money that you're not seeing off your content yeah um as i say i i have not yet looked at a legal document that explains whether or not they are allowed to do that but i would say it is probably quite likely that they reserve the right to so it's something worth looking up i don't have an answer for you right now i don't think i could go and look for one yeah it is probably out there somewhere um you could probably like tweet at somebody from wizards and ask them if you wanted Hell, I might even do that. Yeah. Just like good, an actual good-natured question, like, is this the case? Uh, if I do, uh, and I get an answer back, then I will probably let you know on the next episode, because that seems like mm -hmm. it would be relevant information for people. Yeah. But yeah, like, um, other than that, it seems a pretty good deal if you want to make stuff in the, in the Forgotten Realms. I would say just, just uh, once you find that out, like, go for it. Yeah. Uh, and for everything you know, else, it's... there's the OGL. Which is really all mm -hmm. we asked for, right? I mean, we didn't even yeah. ask for it. We just kind of expected it, which is what yeah, I've got well, yeah. here. It's like we we just know. expect it now. And we will continue expecting it for any version of the game going forward that is <laughs> supposed to be successful at all. You know, just because it's kind of required. At least as long as, like, Wizard's characteristic way of interacting with the, uh, the user base. Because it's not quite the same, is it, as, like... If I write a novel and somebody writes fan fiction of my novel, mm. I'm not going to go after that person legally. Uh, not only because I believe that um, most fan fiction, at least, is a sufficiently transformative work that there are a few legal protections on it, but also because I'm not a fucking asshole. Um, but that's not really that's not the same. Like me being an author who wrote a novel and that novel has fan fiction, as me being a company that produces a game that actually functions off the back of transformative and derivative work. Like, yeah. That, that is the entire body of how the game itself works. It would be kind mm. of weird for Wizards to say, hey, we're going to like ban the thing that is actually making us money. So it kind of makes sense that they would do this. Mm. Like, definitely. Yeah. So uh, I guess in conclusion, um, the OGL looks fine. Uh, sucks to be you if you want to publish uh, open source content in the Forgotten Realms, but you know, <laughs> eh, what can you do? <laughs> what can you do? Um, yeah, DM's Guild tentatively looks okay, uh, and I, I feel it, it's really a very restrained way of trying to 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 monetize this uh, this thing, because really the three point five OGL was disastrous for Wizards, even though. It's probably one of the things that has kept role-playing games alive this long. Yeah. It, it, they lost a serious amount of money off that, so it makes sense that they would mm. try to like make some of it back this time around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. But yeah, I thought that would be relevant to uh, to people listening because you know, I think a lot of the people listening, if they interact with the game, are people who write their own content. Like they. No. Yeah. Give a they, lot of advice yeah. to those people, right? About yeah. like writing um, environments and and characters and all of that stuff. So uh, this is relevant because that's this is how you actually like publish that stuff. Mm. And I mean, I don't know if I could ever scrape together my notes enough to make a uh, you know a nice bound book with a piece of art on the cover. I have a couple of artist friends. I could probably commission somebody to like, no, do yeah, something. Yeah. But then like like sell that. Yeah. But but yeah, no, I, I think personally, leave. I just. Yeah, I think personally, I just wouldn't choose to publish any of my D and D stuff. Not not of the two Earth stuff anywhere. Yeah, I can see that. that but that's because of, of different for you than for me, because like obviously, yeah, Sombra is explicitly well, no, yeah. a D and D setting, whereas for you, it's like your your story setting as well, your original writing setting. It's, yeah, but I I feel but, like I mean, you know, I'm not saying that that wouldn't like I could make a D and D setting in the future that's just pure D and D. But I think I would more prefer to do that for something like Shadowrun, for example. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> oh, but remember, of course, that um, 
Now, don't quote me on this. Uh, I know the 3.5 OGL does. Uh, allows mm. you to essentially make derivative games based off this. Dang, really? Well, yeah, that's that's literally all D20 games. That's why they exist. Oh, yeah. Uh, the 5th edition OGL, I think just from reading the SRD, looks kind of more restrictive. But I don't know. I would actually have to consult, like, maybe not a lawyer, but somebody who knows a bit more about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, though, actually, I would, like... I don't know if they let you, but I would, I would fucking love to do an Age of Rebellion. <laughs> so I would, I would publish it mm. for the Star Wars RPG. <laughs> mm. Genuinely, yeah. I'm yeah, super right. into Star Wars, and I desperately want to do an Age of Rebellion episode mm. <laughs> one day. I have actually played the original Star Wars RPG recently because <laughs> ah. uh, one of my friends got it for cheap off eBay. It's the system itself is actually like fine. It's just that the uh, yeah. the scenarios that come with it are apparently not very good. They're a yeah. bit like teenage fanficy. There's, yeah, there's yeah. stuff in there that really doesn't make any fucking sense and is just included to like look cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, I I personally don't have a huge amount of interest in publishing like RPGs based on fifth edition D and D. So I'm not no. really that interested in finding out whether that's something you can actually do. But yeah. it does says I say I want to design content using the fifth edition rules for D and D. Like there's probably a good distance that you could stretch the concept of a transformative work um, that would be classed as like a scenario. Like, yeah. For instance, you can do D and D in space, and it's like it's not really functionally different rules wise from normal D and D. No, not really. But it's evidently like a transformative uh, work that was not intended for the original game no because kind of different I, actually i feel you like know, you no because w- like a lot of the the like monsters and stuff that were originally from the spelljammer um setting are now like those of them that are still in the game are, are like in suitably spacey like places but they're in places like the astral plane now um, yeah like the 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 gifts i think they're called yeah they used to be like a spelljammer monster and now they're in the astral plane so it's like Spelljammer not confirmed, so possibly like sci-fi space D and D not a thing in fifth edition. So no. So there you go. A transformative work that would be unintended. Yeah, but uh, I've I've always sort of I do kind of ever since going on to um, homebrewdnd.tumblr.com. Oh, homebrew D and D is great. Um, I should I should <laughs> acknowledge that much of that Tumblr is scraped from a particular subreddit. And that, yeah, yeah, that. but it's um. But it, it's it's a great like collection of all that stuff because yeah it's... I like yeah I recently saw the the gunslinger home like class and I was like thinking shit wouldn't that be cool to put in yeah. <laughs> we what we do a western fantasy scenario which to be honest two earth is like almost halfway there because of the trends and stuff like, two earth but is, uh... a, I think historically about to become steampunk but not not quite there yeah. yet. Yeah, you're probably kind of right with Whereas, that. Whereas, yeah. like Dawn Sombra is weird because it's very like geographically distinct in terms of technological advance, and like mm. there's like most of the southeast has not even reached the age of sail yet. But like Relent yeah. has gunpowder, but not a bunch of other things. Yeah. So, so if you were say a gnome or a tiefling from Relent, could you be a gunslinger? Probably no, because I think they only have <sighs> cannons, not like actual guns. Yeah, I think I. To be fair, the part of Two Earth that is actually probably most technologically advanced is like the Eastern continents, and that is kind of a mishmash because of like the genre influences for it were both Western movies and samurai movies, which makes sense because they're kind of like a lot of Western movies are adaptations of samurai movies. But but so in the it would West. make sense. Yeah, it would just makes you know like a lot of them are like you know they're like an American director was like, I want to do a American adaptation or an American work version or a, a, a transformative work, if yeah. you will, of this samurai movie. So that's why, if you ever watch a samurai movie, you're like, wow, this is a lot like a Western. <laughs> <laughs> that's why, because Westerns are all samurai movies. So what you're saying, essentially, is Clint Eastwood is a giant weeb. Yeah. There you go. That That is the takeaway for this not, episode. Not a big... Not- not a biggest way boo as Quentin Tarantino, who really does love westerns and samurai yeah, movies. Fair enough. That man is that man is the biggest weeaboo in Hollywood. I, I don't actually have a problem with believing that Quentin Tarantino is a secret weeaboo. 
That's not actually yeah. a concept that I'm struggling with at all. No. Um, but anyway, like, so I was like, okay, well, wouldn't it be kind of neat if I kind of put, like, the whole, you know, like, outlaw, bounty hunter, gunslinging, kind of like Stetson, like, riding around on horses and kind of like a deserty kind of place and, you know, like, you know, like, technological age and then put it with kind of, like, feudalism and, like, you know, swords oh my God. and samurai. Feudalism adjacent, gunpowder wielding, uh, like, industrialism? Wow. Yeah. Beth, you are the biggest fucking weeb. Because that is... Li- <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure we have mentioned this on a very early episode of the podcast, but that is literally what happened to Japan. It is, it is, yeah. But, like, inst- but like I just decided to put, like, Western shit in as well. So well, I was like, you, yeah, you've made, I'm a weeb. You've already made the case, I think, for putting Western shit in there. Like, just, just listen yeah. to the previous five minutes of the podcast we'd be like okay that is that is Beth's justification for putting western shit in there and i think it holds up yeah oh you know I, I look i i like anime okay and I, i'm not ashamed about it some anime is very good i'm not disputing that i personally found some... it very difficult to get into anime Largely, yeah, it's fine. I find out most, now most anime because, is garbage though but that's just like anime. with anything like, very little of it was actually related <laughs> to the anime itself. It's like, I cannot watch subtitled media, and I am not allowed, apparently, to watch dubbed anime, because the weebs will come for you, and they will crawl into your house I at mean, night you, you, and, and murder you. You can, you can. It's just, like, it's very difficult to find good English casts. Oh, because... well, yeah, and uh, it does apparently depend on, like, when the dub was made. Like, apparently, yeah. all of the stuff after 2004 is better than the stuff that came before, like, as a unit. And, like, a lot of it is I still mean, not uh, good, but it's better in yeah, general. Yeah, kind of, it depends on the company, it depends on the cast, it depends on, you know, like, Full Metal Alchemist dub, fucking amazing. Or in high school, host club dub, not that good. Uh, Subasa Reservoir Chronicles, not that good. Cowboy Bebop, probably better than the mm. Japanese dub. Bacano, really good, you know. And so, I've you know, mentioned, I think, before that uh, I can now never watch Attack on Titan because I started watching it in Japanese, and then I was like, "This is actually too strenuous and too difficult." And then I stopped. And then when it got dubbed, I was like, "I will try and watch the. This is wrong. This is bad and wrong. And those characters don't sound like that." And then I, I couldn't. There was also the fact that, like, I was really not sure if I was on board with Attack on Titan, like. Yeah, it was weird. Like, there's something really unsettling and unpleasant about the art style, but I could never put my finger on what it was. But I, I think a lot of people have that that feeling because you can't really identify yeah, what it is. I kind of you get that a lot more, I think, in the manga as well. But I think that's largely because Hajime Asama didn't really learn to draw until like eight, nine volumes in. Maybe that's a bit mean to say that. Like, he's really good at doing like unsettling horror, creepy stuff. But when it comes to like actual people who are supposed to look like people, they always come off a little bit. I mean, like uncanny, and that sort of translated slightly into the anime. I mean, if if one's work on One Punch Man has taught us anything, it's apparently not a requirement to be able to draw at all. It's true. Mm. It's true. Like you like, don't. That's, I, that's, I think... that's ridiculously successful, just because apparently the, yeah. the writing is good. I haven't watched or read uh, One Punch Man, but. The concept seems like pretty self-aware and well-written to me in terms of how it's yeah. laid out. So I might. Try. I mean, it's it's really nice that like One Punch Man was like the writing was so good that the artist of Eye Shield, who by the way is like just he's like insanely fucking good, right? Like the shit that man can do with alcohol markers is basically fucking witchcraft. Okay, like I don't know how he fucking does it, but. Like, I assume he was struck by a bolt of lightning and got super amazing anime drawing powers. That That's that's how I think that guy did that, okay? Because he's, he's too fucking good. So he's like, I will, don't worry, Juan, we will, remake, we will remake this and make it absolutely goddamn gorgeous. And it is absolutely goddamn gorgeous. And then the people, Madhouse decided, we are going to animate your manga your manga one and it is going to look absolutely fucking amazing because we're going to put all of our resources and efforts into this we might go bankrupt in the process but we're going to do it 
and they did it. One Punch Man is like it's better than Breaking Bad. That's official. Mm. That that's like on IMDb. That's on the internet movie database. Uh, One Punch Man is better than Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, The Walking of, Dead. Like, it is. Uh, it manga, is. Because I don't, I don't, I don't read a lot of manga, but in terms of like manga artists, who I artists, I don't actually know. But like manga production that I will always respect. I I respect Junji Ito a lot. Yeah. I don't like yeah. anything he's ever produced because it's fucked up. But I respect him a lot for like the 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 stuff that he makes, just because like. It's so entrenched in like that weird sort of early two thousands internet zeitgeist that I'm sort of a product of, uh, especially yeah. um, uh, the Enigma of Amagara Fault, obviously. Yeah, he Junji Ito. Um, <laughs> he writes this one manga that's about him and his cats, and most of the comedy. And it's it's not a horror; it's a comedy. But most of the comedy comes from the fact that his art style is so creepy and unsettling <laughs> most of the time. So it's like, it's pretty good. It's it's, it's funny. Because you have like cats doing typically cat things and it's depicted like the most uncanny shit ever. So, yeah. But I, I really like, I, I really like Junji Ito's Tomi. It's one of his earlier works, but I think it's one of his freakier ideas. Um... This is a great conversation about manga and anime that we are having, but <laughs> it's not fucking well, relevant. No, it, yeah, I, I wasn't like particularly worried about it not being relevant because I kind of said everything I wanted to say about the OGL. But I have just looked and found there is a Reddit AMA a Reddit AMA thread uh, with a D and D product manager who, oh uh, no, two D and D product managers, Mike Merles and Chris Ooh. Lindsay. Except the apparently the person running the AMA is Trevor Kidd. Um, wizards, wizards of the coast, answered people's questions. Um, so here's something interesting. Uh, you are in the clear to publish Karatur, Al Kadim, and Mastika content under the um, Dungeon Masters Guild because they are all continents on the same world as Faerun in the Forgotten Realms setting. So even though they're treated as separate settings, or at least I know at, in the past Al Kadim was, they are fair mm. game for. Dungeon Master's Guild, and presumably therefore not fair game for OGL. Mm. Uh, yeah, confirmation there are no PDF copies of the core rulebooks available for sale. So, by the way, like my personal um, well... stance is that it is entirely, well, I say entirely acceptable. Obviously, wizards might object, but I don't have a problem with the idea of pirating um, OCR'd PDFs of the core rulebooks if you own the physical book, but you just want yeah. an OCR'd. Like, Sometimes people want an OCR PDF of the core rulebook because they want to search something and the index in the book is kind of shit. Like, yeah. for a long time, I was really bothered that, like, my um, Dungeon Master's Guide PDF wasn't OCR'd because I think that's really important. And, you know, if Wizards actually released a PDF, it would be OCR'd because they're in a, like, a professional company who would do that and would be able to do that. But as it happens, somebody would have to do that themselves and somebody has done that for the the player phb but i don't remember if they did it for the dmg no um right okay uh what is this so if you want to publish conversions oh okay what's this oh right yeah this is important if you want to publish um fifth edition updates of modules from previous editions of the game that have not been released as open content, which is basically anything from AD&D and probably everything from 4th edition originally, and maybe a few things from 3rd edition, you would have to publish those through the DMs Guild um, and have them change to fit into the Forgotten Realms because those are not released as open content. Right. Okay. Um, right. What else? Okay, content submitted to the DM Guild becomes property of Wizards of the Coast. Um... But beyond that, this person's question was entirely ignored. So, <laughs> oh <laughs> dear. Um, I think it'll probably be a good idea to link to that AMA. Um, I, th I think in... possibly, although the AMA is actually like linked from uh, Wizards' article about the uh, the Dungeon Masters Guild, so I might link to that instead. Oh uh, yeah, that probably better. Um. <clears throat> Apparently there is a company called One Bookshelf which is uh, involved in the uh, 
in the, the Dungeon Masters Guild. I don't know in what capacity, but they get some of your money. Uh, by the way, like Wizards specify you do not have to ask for money if you publish on the, uh, the their marketplace. And if you do ask for money, you can ask for whatever you want. Like you, you can put whatever price point on and according to Wizards of the Coast, they will support you in that. And then you'll get half of your revenue while uh, One Bookshelf and Wizards will split the other. They say we care yeah. about our creators and that's why they get the biggest cut. But I feel like that's kind of disingenuous because in terms of how many parties are involved, it's really like One Bookshelf and, and Wizards as one party that then splits their, their proceed from the profit rather than splitting it three ways. But I guess, you know, that's kind of apples and oranges. Um, mm. Anything else? People start asking stuff like later mm. on about like just general how do you start writing stuff, which is cool. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if, like, I, if I can figure out who I should address the question to, and I don't find it here, um, I will try and ask somebody from Wizards about the DMs Guild and, like, yeah. what extent of uh, control players, uh, players, uh, content producers get. But, okay, what's this? Um, oh, apparently the DMs Guild will largely be a free market, so that there'll be material, like, material for you to, like, rate um and review content but apparently they're not at least initially going to do much hands-on uh, quality control which would be good for like actually producing your first stuff but probably bad for the overall quality of like what's uploaded mm -hmm. so all right uh eberron is not allowed for the oh no um wizards will not publish 5e e eberron material but also eberron does not fit into the uh the dm's guild a lot of these questions are about the Adventurers League, which I guess is relevant because that kind of uh, affects them. But I don't know a lot about um, organized play. I don't really know anyone who does it for D&D. But yeah, I think that's probably us. Now the OGL's out, I might actually release some of my own content. I don't oh. think I'm going to like publish it for money or anything unless I like no, actually scrape but, together yeah. the notes in order to make a proper like full-length um, scenario. Even then, I don't... The problem is I wouldn't release um, the the Lonely Cavern as yeah. is because I think it's a really silly scenario <laughs> and it's not good. Yeah. When like third level characters meet and kill a god at the end. Well, you don't kill it, but like defeat a god at the end, mm. and it's not good. But I don't know what I would replace it with because it would have to be something else on the Isle of Bells. Yeah. No, I, I get you. I understand. But if I could get like. Like maybe some of my one shots actually. Um, I feel like like maybe some of those I could scrape together the notes for them and just uh, get some maps and stuff, and it'd be good. It'd be good. Mm. And maybe I'll do that now that the OGL's out. Mhm. Mm but yeah, that was yeah. us. Uh, yeah. So this has been House of Bards. Yeah, I'm Alex. Uh, I've been Beth. And uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know the drill by now. All the music was by Kevin McLeod. There is a credit for the uh, art mm -hmm. behind the text in the description if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not mm -hmm. watching on YouTube, I don't know where the hell you are watching because I haven't decided to cross-post this anywhere else yet. Yep. Um, if you have any suggestions for topics, leave them on whatever commenting this mm -hmm. format you're watching allows. Or, if you uh, have tweet us or send us Tumblr messages. Uh, I mm -hmm. am Cleaver Crumish in both those places. It'll be down below. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, if you have any que again, any questions for future Q&A episode mm -hmm. send them to us we are getting a few and I think we might have enough soon maybe I don't know maybe um and uh that's and obviously again if you send us anything make anything for us yeah our words yeah. inspire you somehow if you wanna like I don't know write a fucking scenario based on the things that we've taught you now the OGL is out sure do that that would be kind, yeah, of, yeah, kind yeah. of weird but we'd probably like read bits of it yeah that'd be cool see that stuff uh fan art also we've received some very amusing fan art in the past uh i've even used some of it i think as uh have i used some of it i don't think i've used any of it as, as background art but uh, i i enjoy it very much no yeah especially the the shitty photoshops yes we love those, love those. They're, they're good yeah they're good but yeah that was us uh and we will i guess see you next time yeah bye bye
I am really loving, by the way, the resurgence of the isometric infinity engine like. <laughs> I, I fucking adore that. No, like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I love the original Infinity Engine games. Um, I love Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale. And uh, I'm sure mm. I will love Planescape Torment when I get around to playing it. I have owned it for a very long time. Uh, and, and like also the, the non-Infinity, Infinity-like games from around that era, like um, Arcanum and Temple of Elemental Evil. So when Obsidian took a punt on um, Pillars of Eternity... And it worked, and apparently just kickstarted a boom by coming out uh, around the same time as Wasteland Two with all of this stuff. That now people are making a whole lot of stuff. There's, there's um, Sword Coast Legends. There's um, Torment. Have you seen that? That's coming out. The the people who made Planescape Torment are now making another game based on the Pillars of Eternity engine, and it's fucking great. Yeah. I love it. I love that this is happening again. It's the I mean, it, it's kind of worrying that it continues the trend of the 90s are coming back because like, we have like, <laughs> new X-Files you and can never new Jurassic escape. Park and shit. Yeah. And uh, I, guess, Only... I guess new Star Wars. Like, I think Star Wars just ekes because like, um, The Phantom Menace was 1999, so we can just about say yeah. that... Like... Actually, you know, as well, like, we, like, even though they've evolved a bit, you do have like all these, like what are essentially point-and-click adventure games, but instead of pointing and clicking, you move with the arrow keys and talk to people and make choices. They're basically oh, point-and-click yeah, adventure the, the games. The Telltale boom, it was a big resurgence of point-and-click adventure games. And... Uh, Telltale started as point-and-click adventure games, and they've just developed uh, when into When I say the Telltale boom, up. I mean like the stuff that started roughly with... Yeah. Um, like I want to say The Walking Dead, but it wasn't The Walking Dead. It was... It was Back to the Future. Yeah, it was Back to the Future, actually. Which was a point-and-click adventure yeah, game. Yeah, and, and, like, then other companies as well started doing that stuff. So now you've got, like, um, Oxenfree Cognition. Yeah. Cognition is really good, by the way. If you haven't played Cognition, it is super rough as a game. Like, the the production quality is not great, but it's a really compelling story. And it's fun. It's good. I think you can pick up yeah. all five, four, five? I want to say five. It's five parts? Yeah. Or four parts? I think so. Yeah. You can also, pick up all of the parts even though, on steamorgog.com. And even though it deviates from this formula slightly, play Dreamfall chapters. <laughs> if you like Life is Strange, you will like Dreamfall chapters. 